Hello, and welcome to episode 247 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel on a, at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Brennan Knight, writer. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Brennan, thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, let's start off with a quick bio about yourself, and then after that bio, why don't you give us the, the elevator pitch for your comic mental cases? Uh, thank you, Matt, and it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, had, it was wonderful uh, talking to you at Baltimore Comic Con when we met up two, two weekends ago. Um, but Too about long. me, yeah. Hey, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, well, let me get me. I'm a writer. I write books. I write comics. Um, you know, longtime nerd. Uh, the funny thing that sometimes surprises people about me is that uh, I'm actually, I would say new, I'm a newer to comics than most people would think, given my like knowledge and knowledge base of, you know, DC and Marvel. Like I, I started my first real jump into comics was, uh, was during the new 52 and the Marvel now campaigns. Wow. Yeah, like I, I had, you know, I'd bought graphic novels and stuff beforehand, and I had those the DC encyclopedia and the Marvel encyclopedia, but I wasn't like a, a floppy collector or purchaser until New 52 came out. And it was just like, this is the perfect chance. Like now I can really get into this. Awesome. And uh, I know we're going to talk about everything, but let's do uh, let's do a quick pitch for for Mental Cases, a, a book that you're you're working on. And some issues have come out recently around Awesome Con in Baltimore Comic Con. Yes. Um, so Mental Cases is uh, my like was my first miniseries. It's a uh, sci fi mystery story. I always say it's X-Files meets Sherlock. Um, it's about a psychic detective in dc investigating psychic crimes and uh the case that this uh the miniseries follows is a series of televised subliminal messages that are sending people into this murderous rage and the main character believes it's his nemesis except he killed his nemesis like a year earlier oh wow wow so um, we're going to go forward, but I just have a question about this. Um, when you designed this uh, series, it seems to me from that description that you have the ability, um, if you're doing sort of an X-Files meet Sherlock, you're going to have the ability to sort of maybe tell stories in like four to five issue chunks, um, complete a story, and then sort of like move on to like another season. Um, is there a lot of sort of like X-Files where there might be like, a monster of the week but there's like an overall like narrative that uh you're, you're trying to 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 push so in uh, in this in this four issue arc which is you know subtitled a study in static um which is itself an homage to the first sherlock holmes story a study in scarlet mm-hmm. um like it's it's it is a contained like little mystery um, but yeah, it does kind of, there are seeds for like a larger, you know, story arc uh, to, to, if I were to continue um, going forward, which I would actually, I would love to do that. You know, uh, it's not, it's not on the, the itinerary yet, but it's mm-hmm. definitely, I have notes for basically a, um, what would be essentially 12, a 12 issue story, you know, four issues, a four issue arc 
four issue arc, four issue arc. Um, so yeah, I, I had set the seeds and who knows what it'll actually end up becoming. Um, yeah, you know, all the, all the ideas in the world sound great until you start putting stuff to paper and then you're like, okay, well, I got to figure out how to do, you know, figure out this, just, is this actually going to be four issues or is it, you know, three issues longer? Is it a one shot, like a 40 page one shot? Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to check in with Noah, um, see if he has uh, any questions here and then maybe we'll, we'll go back into some of that stuff you talked about in your, in your intro. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was, I was actually just going to keep that, like, uh, you know, talking about writing, like putting pen to paper, you know, uh, I think that's sort of a good segue. We can always circle back to, to other stuff, but into your creative process. So were you, were you like, you know, when you found comics and you wanted to like, yeah, like when, when was the idea that like, oh, I want to write like stories like in comic form or like, were you always a writer or were you uh, always a comic writer? Uh, so I was a, it's uh, trying to gather my thoughts. Uh, it's writing has always been very helpful for me because as uh, as a young kid I was um I was riddled with ADD uh <laughs> and I had a hard time focusing on like schoolwork and stuff and I had this one teacher who just encouraged me he's like hey you're always coming up with these stories you know you seem to have a big imagination why don't you you know why don't you just write st- like for writing assignments write a story write a story out and they'd help me you know stay focused and get the task done and uh you know it was it was just lame stuff you know based on video games i played and it was you know it's the writings of a fourth fourth grader um but it you know it really helped me focus my energies my creative energies and you know over time it was was it it was i had wanted to tell stories uh through video games but i'm not a i wasn't not i don't have a programmer's brain unfortunately um and you know once I got to college and you know didn't necessarily you know the new 52 and Marvel now weren't like oh I can I can do this it was um it was still like it was something that's like oh this is something I could do um it's not like I was like I, I need to be a, a comic book writer it's like oh I could write a comic if you know the mood if I wanted to um and I, you know, I came up with a fan, stupid fan comic that I wrote the script for, but never saw art. Um, it wasn't, yeah, but in the middle, of, you know, it was actually, it wasn't even in the middle of college. It was college. I was like, at one point I was like, you know what? I want to be a writer. So I started pursuing creative writing and whatnot. And then it was after college, after I had written my first book, The Lamplighter, I was like, well, now that I've written a novel, let me try writing a comic book like I wanted to do, you know? And that's when I started coming with mental cases. And I, I worked at that. And, you know, as I was writing it and, you know, at the same time, I got uh, my, my job uh, at a comic book shop. And then it just kind of like kind of came more and more together where I was like, you know, I really love writing comics. I love comics. They're so much fun. I want to, you know, I want this to be my future. Awesome. So, so cool. When you were mentioning that you had this sort of, um, you know, people are surprised about how recently you came to comics, but you sort of have been able to develop this sort of um, understanding and this sort of, um, you know, knowledge base. 
Um, is that due to your time at the at the comic shop? Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, no. Uh, I mean, it definitely was refined by the comic book store. I, I mean, my knowledge base of Marvel and DC was very was like very well established before going to the comic book store. Because, you know, I had those encyclopedias that I had read so much that the, the spines were, are breaking. They, they were breaking and now they still are. Um, you know, I ate up everything I could find on the internet because I was a big, uh, you know, just the, the DC cartoons, you know, Batman, Batman, the, the New Adventures, Teen Titans, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, all of those DC shows. I just loved and ate them up. And so that, you know, and then it was like, well, you know, let me go online and try to find out more about this. And then, you know, it just kind of like not how it just was would absorb stuff through osmosis too, where I'd be like, somehow I would know about like something that like a character's background and it would just be from bits and pieces I picked up everywhere. And I was like, oh, wait, I, <laughs> I know what House of M is about, even though I never, I've never read it, you know? <laughs> It was stuff like that. Um, but then going to the comic book store, it would, um, my, my knowledge of, you know, based on my fan knowledge of, you know, the stories and stuff, you know, that did refined where it was like, oh, this is a smaller story. It's, you know, it's written by this, this artist or this, it was written by this writer, this artist in the early parts of their career as they were like finding their foothold. Um, and so, you know, then, that's also got me very interested in the careers of artists and so then that with the, the comic book shop really helped with was expanding me expanding my readership to the indie stuff a lot more um not that I poo-pooed it at all beforehand it was just like now it was like oh you know superheroes these are good independent stuff is great too let me like really get into this that's awesome and did you um it's if it's all right i'll, I'll, I'll I, I met you when you were working at the comic mm -hmm. shop yep and i, I think and I'm, not, and I'm not gonna i may not you know i may be remembering this wrong but i think you're the one who introduced me to tom king so like that was like a huge thing for me like now and this especially part of this podcast because we're huge tom king people but i'm wondering yeah. like you had people like tom king coming through the store and other writers were you like picking their brains like at signings and things like that and, and afterwards like to help like you know build your skills and everything um not so much i mean i would you know occasional chat here or there um but for the most part like again, I was work, I was working when right. they, they were there. So, and, you know, we would, you would, you know, stay on task. I would break away. I remember one time I managed to break away and got Tom King to sign some Batman comics. And, uh, he, uh, he, and it was because it was my, it was my birthday. And I was like, I really want these signed for my birthday. And so I got him yeah. to sign them. And then when I told them, I was like, my, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's my birthday. I forget like tomorrow or it was my birthday, like yesterday or something. He was like, oh, holy shit. It's your birthday. And I was like, whoa, okay. Cause <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know what to expect of his character. Cause this is like my first time like meeting him and everything. And so he just like, he seems like all of a sudden he's very down to earth and very, very cool. 
like that's what some people don't seem to get is like Tom King is a cool nerd. <laughs> he's like very down to earth. So he'll come up with like these crazy stories and all this stuff, but he's just like, he's just a dad in DC who loves comic books. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. So um, before we go back into sort of the creative process um i have one question um you know mm-hmm. we we've, we've talked about uh your time at the comic shop and we haven't really mentioned it but it's the it's third eye in, in annapolis maryland mm-hmm. um i think one thing that that store does like really great is that whenever i walk into the door i'm mm-hmm. gre- i'm greeted and i'm asked like what i'm looking for and you know and i'm like you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of looking around. But sometimes I come in with like sort of an exact, you know, reason to be there. So I could be like, this is, this is what I want, and I'm, you know, I'm taken there like right away. Is that some of the uh, sort of direction that you guys were given? Because I've gone into other shops where like the guy behind the desk barely looks up and, and acknowledges that that I'm there. It's almost like I'm bothering him that I that I walked into his, you know place of uh, business and tried to offer him money what was sort of the direction that you guys were given so i mean uh our our boss he always had an emphasis on uh you know customer service and but you know a lot of people when they make a a comic book when they you know uh, open a comic book shop and stuff it's where they want to hang out with like their friends sometimes mm-hmm. for a lot of how it feels is like oh i happen this shop i'm i'm a comic fan me and my fans me and my friends we're all comic fans you know i'm gonna open a comic shop and it's gonna be like the coolest place for me and my friends to hang out and you know that's cool and all but that's like that's not the step for the step beyond that uh my boss steve my former boss i should say uh steve would take where Comics is a community and he wanted to extend that to everybody where, you know, when you walk in the door, we, we, we want to, we greet you because one where we are like, we're her happy you're there because you're just another part of our community that we get to talk to about comics. We get to share our, our, the comics we love with you. Um, and that was kind of what he pushed is, you know, just, you know, we are we, are, we yes we are selling them trying to sell them a product but we're we're also a comic book store and we're we're a cool place to be comic book stores are a cool place to be and when, when people come in we want them to realize that and what's not cool is being ignored you know by someone who's you know who's decided that you're not necessarily part of their community mm-hmm. um you know even if that community is just their friends and you know we just it's just all about bringing people in sharing this love with them and you know just fostering the community of comic book readers because if the comic book community is big and it's healthy then the comic book industry will grow and be healthy mm-hmm. that's a beautiful way of putting it mm-hmm. yeah that's why i can't quit going to comic shops because he's <laughs> So it's great yeah it's all it's always really kind of disappointing when i do go to other comic book stores and i walk in and i almost do the greeting to them 
like to the employees i'll walk and be like hey how's it going and there's like eh. and you're just like oh I, I guess i'll i guess i'll i'll look at the books my, myself by myself you know yeah i guess okay the, i know that like yeah it is weird like i i lived out of state for a couple of years and my lcs was that typical like you know ignored you when you went in mm-hmm and then, like coming back to third, I was like a like a breath of fresh air. Where I was like, "Oh, I'm home. That oh, was great." Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there was one time I went to a store and they were playing Hero Clicks. They were having like a Hero Clicks tournament, and it took up. I mean, it was a small store, so they had a table and it it took up some space. But I think what the most egregious part of it was that they had on their counter, the register counter, they had a hero, like basically a play set for hero clicks going on there as well. And the owner was playing and I was like, oh, so you're not paying attention to me because again, you're hanging out with your friends and you know, you've decided you've, you've already doing that. You've basically closed the gate a little bit on me and anyone else who is not your friend coming in. So, but no, yes, third eye, great store i love it i love the energy and it makes me disappointed when i go to other comic stores that are not as friendly i wonder um so like i guess pivoting again back to sort of your um you know you you selling your comics then do you think your time at third eye was valuable like at conventions then to be like you know engaging with people who come by and uh you know and, and pitching your books to them like you would pitch like a book at third eye yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, when I started at Third Eye, I was, uh, I was a lot quieter than I am now. I, uh, I definitely had some social anxieties that I had to eliminate through, through necessity at Third Eye. Like, you know, we greet you at the door. There's no, there's not a lot of, you know, no room for social anxieties and quietness there. You know, we mm-hmm. have to shout from the back of the store sometimes. We have to greet strangers all the time and mm-hmm. immediately connect with them. So that definitely helped. And so, you know, I just took that energy. I take that energy with me whenever I go to cons and stuff, because I am meeting, you know, hundreds of strangers, if not thousands of strangers pass by the booth or a table. And, and I need to, I need to connect with them very quickly and, you know, sell them my books so it's uh it definitely does help and you know uh coming up with like the pitches and stuff and like just like you know the elevator pitch you know that i don't definitely develop those skills at third eye as well you know because you know gotta sell books and what's the best way to sell book book a book than uh, have a you know a single sentence that sells the concept and gets the person excited about the book. Nice. So you, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, you'd gone to school for creative writing. Uh, was mm-hmm. the lamplighter sort of your first um, like big thing that, that you did, or was there anything uh, before that? No, nothing that ever got published. There was a lot of like failed, not, not failed attempts, just stuff that started and didn't go anywhere you know um and most of that was just due to like a lack of focus on my part Mm -hmm. which i guess also could be attributed to a 
lack of interest in these things. Like I would start a thing and be like, you know what, this isn't as, you know, this isn't what I want it to be. And, uh, and so I would lose focus, get distracted, ADD, you know, all that. And so I would you know, move on to it and lamplighter I'm trying to think how I even, I don't even remember how I came up with the idea. I think I just was like, I think I was just like, I want to do this historical fan. I want to do historical fantasy. I want to do something that's set in our real world, like a real world history, but there's a fantastical element to it. And so, you know, from there, I, I you know, I think part of it was the, uh, uh, the Roanoke colony did a little inspirate was a little bit of a inspiration for it. Um, and then, you know, weaved into there that I was just like, like just coming up with all these little different pieces. And I just came up with lamplighter. I, uh, would write it. I used to work in DC and I would take, take a commuter bus from my, my house. And this was pre, uh, this was pre third eye. I would take the, you know, on the commuter bus, I would, you know, write on the way there, write on the way back. And, you know, then after I had written everything, I literally rewrote it all. So, uh, yeah, it's so Lamplighter is my first big book. Everything else before it was just basically practice for writing Lamplighter. And did you submit that um, to, to publishers? What was, what was the process after um, you got that done? So after I did that, I, I did pitch it around. Uh, I submitted it to like agents and whatnot and, you know, no, no bites, nothing at all. And I just decided, um, you know, my family also encouraged that I just try self-publishing. And so I uh, found you know, Amazon has a good, a good novel self-publishing tool that I uh, used and published the book. And then I was like, Oh, I got this book done and published. Uh, and it's, it's selling, you know, an issue a month, but it was still just a good feeling to know that someone out there was con- consciously buying my book and with no relation to me. Mm-hmm. which was which was in less I, actually was funny was um at one point uh, one one of my college friends a friend he knew um was at his house or uh somewhere and saw my saw lamplighter and was like oh are you reading that too and he was like yeah my friend wrote it he's like what no way <laughs> like this guy had <laughs> never who had never heard of me you know even even though we were friends with the same guy, he'd never heard of me and complete on his own had found this book online, bought it, and you know, just came across another copy of it and was like, oh my God. So that was a good a good feel. Do you see I I know that you said that you like um you you know put some lines out for for agents or there was no bites. Um do you feel that like early on, like pitching is a very difficult thing. It's, you know, you're putting mm-hmm. yourself out mm-hmm. on the line and you sort of have to, you, you, you have, you, you know, you have high hopes when things come, you know, are, are sent out, but you also have to develop like a, a, a thick skin. You know, there's a saying that like writers should wear their sort of rejection letters as a, like a badge of, of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like, do you think that like maybe that first, 
uh, it sounds like this was your first sort of like serious thing and this, you, you know, you put it out. Um, do you feel like that was sort of a way to sort of, you know, start building that, that tough skin, you know, as, as writers and creatives, when we pitch things, you know, um, you know, more often than not, just the way things are work out, we, you know, we're going to be told no more than we're going to be told yes, unless you're, you know, super talented or, you know, you have like a really huge name. Like, do you think that helped you sort of, um, develop that skin and what advice would you give to anybody who's maybe a little nervous about sort of making that commitment that, that, you know, they're, they're really going for it. They're, they're, they're putting themselves out there. Yeah, I, it definitely, you know, I, I'd have to say like of all the writing advice, you know, I've ever consumed and everything, I, that is the one that, you know, get ready to be rejected. You know, you're going to be rejected a hundred times before one person even is even interested in your book, especially if it's your first book. Mm-hmm. And so I like out of all the writing advice that like, I invoked that a lot, you know, it still was a bummer not getting a response or getting a, you know, the, the, the form rejection letter. Um, but, you know, so every time that happened, I would just be like, you know, I'm new. Uh, this is my first book. Uh, a lot of people have said they, you know, people that have read it have, have said they enjoyed it. Um, my mom enjoys it. So I can always go back to that, you know, <laughs> that little, again, the serotonin hit. Um, so, but yeah, so I was, you know, I was ready to be rejected. It did was a bummer. Um, but you know, it just was, you know, I, I also had uh, the mental cases I had just started w- working on as well. By the time this was, pu- by the time Lamplighter was being pitched around, and by the time it was uh, being, uh, oh, being self-published through Amazon, you know, I, you know, I had already started to move on to uh, mental cases, so I did have that to distract me. Um, so, but I would say to like anyone who's just, you know, starting out, who is like writing a book that this is really topical since this is, you know, NaNoWriMo has just started today. And, you know, so there's going to be a bunch of people that come up, you know, write a, a book, a, a 50,000 word book for the first time. Hopefully, hopefully they get through it. Um, but yeah, you, you know, rejection's going to happen. It's going to sting a little bit. Um, and you just have to, you see that as a benefit because one, that's, you know, a lesson in, oh, this person didn't like this. What about it would be unlikable? You know, what about it is making this, making me be rejected and, you know, just learning from that experience and starting to become, you know, become a little self-critical, like uh, about your writing, not detrimentally so, but just know that, maybe this, maybe my stuff isn't perfect. What isn't perfect about it? What can I improve? So, you know, every rejection is just, you know, uh, just a reminder that there's room for improvement and, you know, you can only get better. You're, you're the best you right now, but you can get better at all, all at every stage. Yeah. Those, those are advice. great words of, of advice. Um, Noah, I'm going to turn it over to you for, for the next question. Well, I guess I just wanted to talk about um, 
uh, you know, finding the artists for your books. So, you know, with mental cases and, you know, with, with, uh, with, with, with the French stalker and, and, you know, uh, among the stars, uh, how did you find the artists for those three books? Um, I believe for mental cases, that's Diego Guerra. Um, and I found him on, I'm trying to remember if it was the fa- a Facebook comics group or uh, comic book collabs. So the comic book collabs subreddit. Um, either way, I think I'm, I think it might've been the subreddit comic book collabs. Um, I, you know, saw a post that he was like, Oh, artists for hire. And so I reached out and was like, Hey, you know, interested. Uh, I was going, the thing is when I, I look for an artist, I have kind of like a, an aesthetic I want. So mental cases, uh, I kind of wrote that like somewhat doing like with the idea that I was doing a Gar- uh, Warren Ellis impression kind of, I mean, it, uh, yeah. it's not like I was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, completely rip his style and everything. It was like, you know, this is a, of all, of, of all my ideas, this is a very Warren Ellis kind of like kind of inspired idea um, and, and execution. So I was like, I want something that's, a little more realistic um and like kind of clean with with a very clean line and so i saw diego's and i was like this is kind of the aesthetic i'm going for so you know pursued him then and hired him uh and with a trench stalker i was like you know this is a gritty a gritty war book it's going to be a little violent, a little, you know, dark. And I mean, it's world war one, like the, you know, the, the great war, the war that like, was like, Oh crap. A war is like a very dirty, brutal thing. <laughs> like, like really, like really, you know, struck home and it's, it's, it's nasty. And I was like, I want this, this, like this grittiness to it. And so that's how I found uh, JP um and i was like yeah again it was another thing where i was like you know i love your stuff uh i've checked out your stuff i like it i have this idea and i actually sent him the script i was like here's the script what do you think of it would you be interested and he sent back he was like i think this is a great script i love it it's like it it is this you know this letter you know figuratively and literally about just the loss of innocence and war and just like the brutality of it. And so I was like, this is great. And again, uh, echoes among the stars. I trying to think about the conception of that. Um, I think that I think echoes, yeah. Echoes among the stars. I had this, this idea of basically a, uh, a robot who hears the voice of a, here's the voice of a God. Um, so I, you know, I came up with this, this story and I was like, you know, and it's, it's earth all along kind of deal, um, got mixed in too. And I you know, looked around and I saw Sebastian uh, Perez and I was like, oh, you know, this guy's stuff, it's got this, um, it's got a different, like he uses a different color palette when he colors his stuff. Um, I, it, he's got a 
you know, he can be very, very, um, flute's not the word. His characters seem, can seem very loose at times. Like they've got, definitely got that, uh, like the, the rubber bones of like action characters, like, you know, you're catching a mid movement. Um, it was funny. He, he, I was like, Oh, he draws a a good robot. And it actually, after the, after we had worked together on Echoes Among the Stars, I was rereading an old issue of uh, Heavy Metal and he had done a short story in that as well. And I was like, and it had, it had a robot in it. And I was like, oh my God, I, did I incept myself to get Sebastian <laughs> to design this robot because of a robot that he designed? And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, a mind freak for a second. I was like, what, how, how did this, you know, this circular logic, but I was, uh, I was very happy to get Sebastian because I was like, you know, I, he was like, this is, he's got a lot of talent. I mean, all the guys I've worked with have had, are very talented and, you know, it's just the plethora of talent that's out there that is, uh, stopping some of them from really blowing up jp could honestly be on so many gritty noir stuff i mean i would love to see him do a uh, rocket man series uh diego has gone a little quiet um but he could he could definitely do all kinds of very realistic stuff actually that's right he did some pirate stuff with uh justin gray who used to team up with jim jimmy palamati a lot Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And Sebastian is blown up. You know, I was actually, I, I think I've told you guys at the con, I was like, I'm glad I was able to get him when I did, because like a year later, he's blowing up. He's, you know, right now he has a new vault book coming out. And so I'm like, man, oh, wow. who knows what his, who knows what his page rate would have been like back <laughs> then. And I couldn't afford it back then. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I could, you know, I could barely afford the page rate I paid him then. I was glad to pay. I was more than happy to pay it, but I mean, anymore. And I've been like, oop, let me, let me, oop, sorry, I got to go somewhere else. I, I have to pay rent later. So, yeah. When you're looking for an artist, um, you know, I think one thing that's very common um, is, and I, I think this, I, I think this is something that we talk about at, at, at times. Um, is sort of like the the writer looking for an artist. Is it very important to you to see sequential art and maybe some quiet moments of because you know obviously we're all sort of you know pulled to to splash pages and you know you know pinups. But is it important to you to see that the that the writer, uh, or I'm sorry, the artist can can do sequentials and you know maybe if there's a a talking head moment where you know there's a conversation going on. Uh, or somebody writing a letter uh, in a trench, like that they can sort of make that, that interesting. Is, is that something that you look for? Yes, for sure. I mean, I've, there's plenty of artists on um, that I follow. I, my, my Twitter account, if you are, if you ever look at my like Twitter account and see how many people I'm following versus how many follow me, it is like for every one person that follows me, I follow 10 people and 9.9 of them are artists so it's like it's 99% of the people I follow are artists who have never heard of me um but I just look love their art and I'm looking at it and I'm like one day I'm gonna work with you so I'm gonna save you I'm gonna follow you for reference later um there are 
and I and then I only uh, increased that following count um, by going through different artists, you know, checking their page and following what, you know, I will, I will almost instantly follow an artist if I'm like, I like your stuff and what's this on your front page or like your pin tweet has a, uh, a page page sample that you did. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Perfect. So yeah, I, I do put a lot of weight when I'm looking at artists and stuff, if they display sequentials or if they're if they have a web page they their web page has sequentials mm-hmm. i'll still follow people that only like you know, still only have like pinups or stuff um or like cover you know basically what would be covers um and there's, a, there's plenty of artists where i've reached out to them and they're like hey you know i, I want i'm interested you know i don't have anything right now uh i you know but i was wondering should i have a project you know in the future what are your page rates like, like right now? Um, and do you do sequentials? And, uh, you know, most of the times they're like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I just do, you know, character designs or, you know, I just do, you know, portraits or something. Um, but thanks for asking. So, uh, no, so sequentials. If I see sequentials on your page, you know, I'm seriously taking a, I'm taking a very much more serious look at you. Yeah, That's awesome. I, I would agree. One of the first um, books that I was uh, a part of, you know, I went to one of those Facebook groups and, you know, I put in there that it was a paying job. And as soon as I put in, it was a paying job. It was just like inbox messages are flooded. And it was like, I was just sort of, you know, there was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of great art, but there was like not a lot of stuff that was like, um, you know, a fit. But then I found Wilson, the, the guy that I've worked with a lot, and he actually sort of had this sort of um, zombie invasion scene that was very sort of like Ben Templesmith-esque. And I'm like, all right, he he's he's one of the few people who actually sent me um, pages to look at. And since then, mm-hmm. we've, we've been able to work. So I like I think what you said is is really great advice uh, for, for artists. Uh, so anybody listening, I, I hope that they, they take that down. Even if it's just one, like one page would, you know, makes me stop in my tracks, you know, and again, two, you know, two pages are better, especially if they're drastically different scenes. Like, like you were saying, there's like one's a quiet moment and one is, uh, is an action or it's a tense moment, um, or a horrific moment, it's just something like it invokes something other than just, you know, two people having an engaging conversation. Mm-hmm. so awesome. y- you have you, you know you have your book um lamplighter um mm-hmm. and then uh you, you're working on mental cases uh, was there a little bit of a a learning curve or was your, your time um reading comics uh pitching comics were you able to sort of navigate the sort of you have to be more condensed when you write a comic, you know, if you're writing a prose piece, you can go in and, you know, I'm thinking about like classic, you know, fantasy book where, um, you know, like a wheel of time where, where Robert Jordan will describe, you know, every, you know, piece of fabric that, uh, that the person's wearing, what, the what their medallion looks like, but you can't do that in a comic. You, you know, you need to hit the, the important points. Um, you need to move the story along. So like the economy of storytelling, how did, how did you handle that? 
um, where you can you can do more in a prose you know piece, but with a comic you have to you know as I said you have to uh, think of the economy of story. You have to you have to move things along. Um, you know you mm-hmm. can't you can't describe everything in 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 such detail. What, what were some of the things that you learned there? Um, so going from prose to comics, uh, I think well I will say mental cases was a, a bit of a, I would say anomaly in that I feel like I executed writing a script very well for the story I had. So I, I did, you know, my, my panel descriptions were a little lengthy, but I had, uh, I had developed a, a strategy um, with it um, based off of like, uh, I think, oh my gosh, oh my God, the artist on Watchmen, uh was dave gibbons yes dave gibbons thank you i was like for a second i was like oh my god i can only think of alan moore and and i was like a blank space i was like how can i forget but he posted a picture one time of the first the script page for basically panel one of watchmen and in it you know it shows the lengthy description that alan moore did and in it Dave had highlighted basically what was the basic action of the panel, what the panel showed, and then like highlighted just like uh, key phrases and sentences that it evoked emotion and stuff, or like the uh, a simple phrase that kind of moved, talked about storytelling, like how how is this panel affecting the story to come? So I would do that where I would write a an action basically character does blank. Um, and then I would write like one or two more sentences to invoke, uh, the emotion of the scene or the, 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 the gravity of the scene to the story at whole. Um, what, and another thing is, is that, uh, you know, it was a, it was a simple, uh, moving from f- historical fantasy that was a historical fantasy that was filled with monsters and these very high concepts, especially the monsters themselves are not just like, Oh, it's, it's like a, it's a dragon or something. It's like, Oh no, this thing is like an amalgamation of like five different animals. So like describing that going into it. Um, and then mental cases was just a, like a good practice comic book almost in that it was, a realistic sci-fi almost realistic sci-fi story with you know basic people set in a city that i i knew very very well um so i was able to communicate better um so um uh, what am i trying to say i just you know the descriptive language between comic books it's it's reaching different people and like you said there's an economy to it um, the details that you just, you know, I would describe in uh, in Lamplighter, I would describe them in script form to my artist who would then translate them onto the page. So it's just like a different person is interpreting my descriptive language mm-hmm. um, when, when it, by the time it reaches the reader. Um, so yeah, there are some details yeah, that you, you couldn't do. And a lot of it would be internal uh 
internal machinations of a person, you know, their thoughts, their feelings, all that stuff. Um, but as far as like physical descriptions go, uh, you know, for the most part, it, if, if it's something need to be pointed out physically about it, a character would point it out, you mm-hmm. know? So it'd be like, okay. Um, you know, since it's mental cases, it's like Diego, you know, here's what the person sees, um, blah, blah, blah. And a detail that you need to really, I need to point out is, you know, oh, this, this, you know, this thing is smooth, you know, uh, or, you know, this, this looks very, the screen looks very static or something. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, this, it's very weird thinking about how different comic books, like the experience of comic books and novels are, but then like writing, it's a lot of the same theory goes into both um, where, you know, every word counts for, you know, in them where, you know, with a book, you know, if you have too many superfluous words, it becomes a slog to read. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a comic, you know, every word that you have, you know, you have, you know, 150 words of, for dialogue balloons and, uh, you know, narration boxes and whatnot on a page. And so you have to make them all count. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. That, I think, yeah. I think what you covered there is, is, is really great. Um, so I, I think we're, we're pushing about an hour here on the, on the interview. Uh, I'm going to check in with Noah um, and I'm going to ask Noah for his final, uh, his final question of the, of the interview. Um, it, it's a question I asked at Awesome Con because I, I turned to the page and this is sort of where I was like, oh, wow, this book is going to be really good. And it's it's the panel in French Stalker with the with the close up on the, the, the mask and it's all made out of bullet casings. Mm-hmm. And I asked you, I was like, is was this your idea or was this the artist's idea? And you, you said it was your idea, like that was in the script, right? Yes, it was in the script. Um, it's yeah. So stuff like that. Um, again, you know, still, that was still fairly new. I mean, I had written most of, uh, mental cases by that point. So I had, you know, four issues or, uh, was that 96 pages worth of script under my belt. Um, but for that, I, when I went in and I was, you know, I try to stick to when I'm writing a script, um, I try to stick to a single page of a word document is a page of a comic book. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to have a just panel that is super descriptive, you know, that's going to be most of the page. That's going to be a, more of the page than the other panels. So, and that's why, you know, I, uh, I think, I believe the other panels on the, that page are a little, you know, a little more simplistic in like what they are at the core, you know, a character, uh, you know, the, the trench stalker approaches the, uh, the, the, the narrator, you know, picks mm-hmm. him up by the scuff of his, by the the uh, color of his jacket you know lifts him off the ground and stares at him and then it's like those are all like you know panel one you know a trench trench stalker approaches you know panel two picks up the narrator by his collar and then three it's like panel three or four whatever panel it is on me i don't have it in front of me but it's like panel four and it'd be like um we're looking at the trench stalker from the narrator's point of view you know the you know in the trench stalker's eyes we see atomic bombs exploding uh his mask face is now comprised completely of of bullets uh blood drips between from between the bullets them uh 
like they're like it's oozing out and you know it's just you get you you dedicate more word doc space to the more descriptive panels because you want to capture an image and i think i i would like to think that also was a, a panel that really sold jp on doing the art for the book I would imagine so. And I guess I just want to ask, like, was that just something that just came to you as you were writing the story? Or is that something where it's like you were seeing the story late, like, you know, as a visual thing. And then like that was one of the first images that sort of came to mind when you're making the uh, when you when you were first creating the story. So it's um, so it was kind of so I trench stalker. I approached it. It's a very different from what is what I, how I approach stories now or anything. I basically, I sat down and I came up with this idea. Um, Trench Talker actually used, was a, like a fan character for like, oh, it's a World War I DC character. So, you know, you have Jay Garrick, you have the, you know, the Justice Society are all World War II kind of heroes. And it's like, but who are like the World War I guys? And so I came up with Trench Talker as one of them. And, but then I eventually was like, you know what? He can be his own thing. I don't need to tie him down to like DC continuity. So I, so I came up with this idea of this kid writing a letter home after this terrifying experience with this, what, uh, this superhero quote unquote. And so I wrote the letter. I like sat down and wrote like dear mother and father. And then I wrote out basically what is the, what is the narration in the book? I wrote it out and it got to the line where it was like, you know, in his eyes, you know, I saw the future of warfare and, but no, no description of what the future of warfare looks like. So, you know, when I was, you know, then, you know, kind of transforming this into transformed it into the, the short that it is now, I was like, well, what does the future of warfare look like? Because, you know, this is world war one. This is like the start of world wars. <laughs> it's in the name. Um, it, so what does it look like from here? Well, it's, you know, World War I is basically bodies being thrown at machine guns, at, at barbed wire. It's like, it's like populations being decimated by this, these battles that they're like, they're engaged in warfare. They don't even, under, we don't, they didn't understand at the time. Um, and then, you know, the atomic bomb that's coming up in World War II, you know, that's the nuclear weapons, a whole new brand of weaponry is waiting in the future. So that's kind of like, so that, that came to me, it wasn't in the original concept when I wrote that letter, um, but it was like how, like I wrote out, I saw the future of warfare. This character says he saw the future of warfare. What does that look like? And, you know, I went from there. It's kind of like how, Tom King, when he was writing Miracle, uh, Mr. Miracle, he, uh, he apparently he wrote like in his, like in his outline, you know, such and such, uh, uh, oh my God, um, Funky Flashman uh, explains, you know, explains life you know, to, to Scott. And it's like, he got to that part and he's like, I don't, how do you explain, like, how do you explain like life, you know, to somebody? You know, the point of how you explain the purpose of life in like nine panels. And so then he just, he just did it. He just was like, okay, well, how would, how would Funky Flashman do it? How would he approach the subject? What, 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 what am I trying to say in the, in the narrative at large? And so it's the same concept where I just, 
had this, um, you know, this line that I needed to realize and I had to think about how to realize it. And so that's how, um, that's how it came to be. That's so cool. And that's the kind of thing I like to get out of an interview. So thanks for giving me that background. That's awesome. Truly awesome. No problem. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think that that, I, I just read that uh, book before the interview and, um, you know, just sort of hearing that story with that image, you sort of really fresh in my mind is just a, it's a really great way um, to sort of conclude everything. Um, but Brennan, um, as we close up, where is the best place for people to, to follow you uh, online, um, just, you know, to keep up with what you're working on? Um, so just give us your socials. I believe you also have a, a web page as well, right? I do. So I'm mostly on Twitter at, uh, at Vinitas Knight. Uh, Vinitas spelled V-A-N-I-T-A-S and then Knight, like my last name, no space or anything. Um, yeah, I'm a big King, I'm a Kingdom Hearts fans. And when I came up with uh, the Twitter handle, one of the characters' name was Vinitas. And I was like, that is the that is so cool. That is so <laughs> cool. Um, so Vinitas Knight on Twitter. I do have a webpage. It's cbrennanknight.com. So the letter C and then brennanknight.com. Um, it's I will say the, the website's a, a little admittedly a little disappointing because I'm still figuring out designing my own web page and whatnot so mm-hmm. uh, but i'm uh i've actually instead of doing nano remo this year i've decided to focus all my some extra effort into making my website look good so people can go there it's a little underwhelming right now but hopefully it'll look much better in the near future awesome and what's sort of maybe the the next thing that's uh uh, in the pipeline for you creatively, if, if you're able to talk about that right now. So, um, so I will say, I, th- I think I mentioned it before, but I'm expanding upon trench stalker. So that's the thing I'm kind of actively writing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a project uh, with the artist that I, um, I, I worked collab with on my previous my latest entry into the platform comics uh competition uh max davenport he's well i just like i said all my artists have been great they're all going to be big max davenport he's going to be huge he's one to follow um so we're working on something uh that's it's a, a a fantasy a fantasy epic i always refer to it as dragon ball meets heavy metal magazine wow or Really, the question I would, you know, it's what if Dragon Ball was published in Heavy Metal Magazine? Cool. Um, <laughs> so that's what I'm working on. Uh, we, you know, we've been pitching that around. Uh, you know, I'm going to, as soon as, you know, get to a good point with Trench Docker, going to pitch that around or, you know, take them both to, uh, to Kickstarter at some point in time. Very cool. Well, um, yeah, I'm excited uh, for that stuff uh, that you got going on. I would encourage everybody um, to to check you out uh, on Twitter. Uh, we'll put a link to your Twitter um, and your and your website. And uh, if if you're an artist out there and you get contacted by running, uh, just look out because that means he's got an eye for talent and you're you're about to blow up. <laughs> yep, they're all you're all about to blow. Up. Oh my gosh, there's there's so many good so many there. Oh. I was talking to a guy the other day and um, I was like, Hey, do you do sequentials? And uh, he was like, no, I don't. I'm, I'm working on a comic for myself right now. 
it's like, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not putting myself out there to be hired. And so I was following his, his, the comic he was doing. Cause he was like, I started working on it. And during the last, uh, uh, oh my God. Um, the October drawing thing is, oh, is it Sketchtober or Inktober? Yeah. Inktober. Yes. He was like, I did it during last Inktober. I'm going to finish it this Inktober. So I've been, was been following that. And I was like, dude, this guy needs to do sequentials. He's so good. It's like, it, it, again, to draw, it's like, what if Scotty Young was drawing DBZ? It's like that level of like <laughs> cartooning um, and action and stuff. It's, it's, it, it's insane. I, so yes. Yeah. So I'm not to toot my own horn, but if, uh, if I follow you or ask you to do sequentials, that means you got talent. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we're, we're really excited for, for what you got coming um, down the road. Um, you know, if you have some more sort of uh, official news, you know, stuff that's more concrete, you got, you have an open door to, to come back with us. Um, even if you don't, if you just want to come back and, you know, talk about comics, um, you, you have an open, open door for that. Um, I'd like to just encourage everybody to, uh, to check out, check out your Twitter. Um, also, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, use we'd really appreciate it. Um, there will be a link to Future Tales of Sci-Fi, which uh, launched on Kickstarter today. That's November 1st, 2021. Um, Noah and myself have a story in that it is Wherefore Are You? It's uh, We like to pitch it as Shakespeare in Space. Um, so there's going to be a link to that Kickstarter in the show notes. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter, and that is at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Once again, thanks for listening. Please be safe, be nice, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.